Praise God. Thank you, worship team, tonight. You guys did a great job. I want you to take uh, your Bibles with me, if you will, and let's go. Uh, let's go to uh, young adults, ages 18 to 28. See Lance and Gwen Bronner about the details of that trip. Also, the Flourish uh, Ladies Group will be meeting Saturday the 26th from 5.30 to 7.30. And so all women are welcome to come and join in fellowship. It's going to be a movie night. And so I'm sure there's going to be some popcorn involved there. And then uh, Sunday the 26th, there's a young man. His last name is Sanders having a wedding shower, 4 o'clock. I've just been told to order the donuts, okay, if that's incentive. Okay, I've, there'll be donuts there. Can't have a, a wedding shower without donuts. Praise God. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles and look in Nehemiah, the first chapter. Nehemiah, the first chapter. And tonight, the, the title of this message is Feel His Heart. Feel His Heart. We just glorify you, Lord, once again. Merciful God, I left, Lord God, and hopefully, Lord God, all kinds of room for you to move, Lord, in this message tonight. Lord, I, I come before you this evening, and Lord, we want to feel your heart. We want to know, Lord God, what you know. We want to feel what you feel. We want to share life with you. Lord, we want to, in this house tonight, for the, your spirit, Lord God, to just speak to us after here. It says, words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, in the month of Sislu, in the 20th year, when I was in Shushan, the palace, Hananiah, one of my relatives, some men of Judah arrived. So I asked them concerning the returning Jews who had been in captivity and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant that remained from captivity is there in the province, enduring great affliction and reproach. Also, the wall of Jerusalem remains broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 4, and when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Then I fasted and prayed before the the, the God of heaven and said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I now pray before you day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have been which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. You return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the furthest parts of heaven. I will gather them from there and bring them back to this place where I have chosen to establish my name. Now these are your servants. Keep leading me over to look at Nehemiah prayers. Uh, Nehemiah, as you look in, in this passage, he's in, in the book of Nehemiah. What a strong man of faith. As he saw the ruins of a city and was compelled to leave comfort to go because the Spirit of God had so moved him to a place to go and be a part of the rebuilding. In fact, be the, the ones that would go in and lead the rebuilding, the restoration of the walls. 
Nehemiah was a gentleman who stepped into that role and he, by the power of the Spirit of God, with determination, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. What's amazing is he was listening to the report, as it says, from his relatives that came in of what had taken place there in Jerusalem, how that they were in distress. Those that went back and rebuilt the, uh, the temple after it had been torn down. And we see that the walls had laid in ruin for over 100 years at this point. Here's Nehemiah. He hears of the distress and he understands that even though the house has been rebuilt, they're still vulnerable to attack if they don't get the walls up. They're still vulnerable to the enemy coming in. So we look at that and maybe view the church. What we begin to see is that Jesus is the foundation of the house. Amen. And we understand that the house we build is the house that we build for the Lord. And know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But you know, you can have a salvation experience and still being, if you don't have the understanding, still being exposed to the enemy's tyranny. I had preached a series of messages not too many years back about what the wall represented, but it hasn't been until recent months till I really began to understand the message that I preached. Any preachers know what I'm talking about? You get the Spurgeon said, you hadn't preached a message unless you preached it 20 times. But that wall represents the righteousness of the saints, of the body of Christ. See, because we can have a salvation experience, but if, if we don't understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us and that we have died to self, but we have risen with him and, and, and we're living, we are as we ought to be and we're, we're, we're in right standing with God. And, and what happened, the enemy had come in because Israel had lost their mind. They fell off into sin. They veered away from God, and they kept going after other idols, kept falling prey to the, to the enemy's enticements. And eventually the Lord purged idolatry from them, and a, and a nation rose up, and he destroyed the temple and destroyed the wall. Now the Lord is restoring that. And it was amazing to me as you look at the word of the Lord is how that they went in and they built the wall and they set up the gate and they built the wall and they set up the gate and they built the wall and they set up the gate. You know, the Lord has, we have entry points into our lives. We have entry points into our lives. And so many times we leave doors open. We leave these doors open even though the wall of righteousness is built around us. And all of a sudden one of those Texas twisters blow through. We left, you know, two or three doors and a couple of windows up, and, and we look around, and everything is in disarray. It, it's like leaves have blown in, and, and, and the pot plants have been knocked over, and the lamps laying over, and then the floor smashed, and we come into the room, and we blame God. Lord, why did you let all this stuff happen? Lord well, said, why don't you close the door? <laughs> why don't you keep the door closed? So as we look at that, we see the, the importance of, of, of the wall being the righteousness of God. And here's Nehemiah. Now, what captured my attention here as I was thinking about Nehemiah, as he takes on the role of a priestly intercessor, 
he, he takes on the role of an intercessor. We see there that Nehemiah was there just doing his business, comfortable in what he was doing. I don't know if he chose the career path and, you know, which one of these, which one of these career paths are you going to take? And you want to be the, you want to be the, the butcher, the baker, the, the candlestick maker? No, I'm going to be the cupbearer. I don't think he chose that role. It was assigned to him. But still, he had an audience with the king. I just got to taste his drink, and if I don't die, I keep my job. <laughs> I just hand it to him, and he looks at me, and my eyes don't roll back in my head. Uh, nothing is oozing from me. Uh, I don't fall in the floor and convulse. Uh, uh, it's good. Let me have it. I'll drink it. That was his job. Doesn't sound very complicated, does it? But what we see here is then this level of comfort in this consistency of his life. He was obviously, as you see in chapter 2, he was a man who, 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 who always presented himself as a very, very happy person. You find out later on, I don't think he's a person who tried to hide his emotions. He was a man who consulted with himself, as some versions say, and decided that, yes, there needs some correction and it needs to take place now. But the king noticed that Nehemiah was never sad in his presence. So you see a man who's, who's walking in a joy and peace, doing his job. And then news comes. And a burden is felt. And a heart is broken. And it's more important than his comfort. It's more important than his routine. It's more important than just going in and clocking in and clocking out. Something has to be done. Something, someone. But he didn't look for somebody else to send. But he began to weep, began to mourn. Now, when we see the tears streaming down the face of one in the Word of God, who is interceding on behalf of others, we can hear the sound of the wind, not blowing, but a drawing wind, like a vacuum that is pulling us into one of the most profound verses in the Word of God. On our journey to this verse, we must take in the ever-building breeze that draws us to this perplexing passage. That's Jeremiah 9 and 1. He said, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. As we sail past Jeremiah, even before we came to Nehemiah, we had to take a breath at the pleading of the prophet Joel. Joel 2 and 17, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach. That the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is your God? Joel giving voice to the limitless 
attraction to the text. It is allowing us to inhale the deeper revelation. Where are we headed, you ask? Well, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. I have looked with curiosity at that verse. I have looked as I've seen and, and draw in the facets of the imagery of the Word of God. And I understand that when Jesus is coming to the close of his earthly life, and he was going to die just a couple of chapters, but he wasn't going to stay dead. Oh, no. He's going to rise again on that third day, but he's not just going to rise again. And that's not the end of the story, but the story is beautifully displayed by God that the resurrected spirit that was within him rose from the dead and elevated him up to the right hand of the Father. What I see in that text there, and if you don't know, we're at the tomb of Lazarus now. See, when we see the weeping intercessor, we got to look at the true intercessor. When we look at the, the, the weeping prophet, we've got to look at the prophet. When we see the, the king that, that is crying out, we've got to look at our king who is crying out. Nehemiah was a, was a portrait, a, an, an, an image, if you will, showing us and displaying to us heart of our king and our God and our Savior true intercessor, the one that, and only one that can stand between us and the Father as a true representation, not only of God the Father, but also the true representation of us. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. In the moment, if you don't know the story there in John 11, you'll find, and uh, it's worth looking at, Jesus uh, waited there at the place he was at for two more days and it was another day's journey to where Lazarus was at whenever he got word that he was sick by the time he got there it was four days Lazarus is now dead Martha is distraught Mary can't get out of the house they said oh if you'd have been here if you'd have been here he said I'm here now I'm here now he said, oh, if you'd have been here, my brother would have rose again. And he said, oh, I'm here now. He will rise again. Oh, he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. We're seeing as Jesus declared, I am the resurrection. My spirit will go to the grave, but we won't stay in the grave because the grave has no hold on my spirit. My spirit will go to hell, but hell has no, it has no claims upon me, so I won't stay in hell. I'll come out of that grave on that third day as I have executed and planned, and I will ascend to my Father because the resurrected spirit will always return to his original origin, and that is in heaven. And now I'm going to go, and when I leave, I'm going to send back my spirit, and that same resurrected spirit is going to be living and dwelling within the hearts of my children. Spirit that will never die, but always be in the presence of the Father will now be inside the heart of the believer. They rolled the stone away. Jesus wept. 
Has that not perplexed you? Has it not caused an arousal of your curiosity? I think as we look at that, why was he weeping? weeping because he is the intercessor he's going to call a name and that name is Lazarus but there are others that are there in that tomb that will not be called forth there is a day coming where those who are dead will rise again at the trumpet the voice of God but there will be those that will not rise to the second life they'll rise to the second death and the God of heaven and earth the creator of all things, the good and merciful God who wants us to live in eternity with him in relationship. Folks, let me say to you, don't wait till you get to heaven before you start realizing the benefits of heaven. Heaven is here because heaven is in us. How do we know heaven is in us? Because the throne of Almighty God is right here. And on the inside of your heart is an open doorway into the glorious presence of the living God. This life is but a vapor. We get this little dash in the timeline of eternity. And what we do in that dash will have eternal impact upon the entirety of, of nations and generations. Jesus wept. It was as if he was weeping like Nehemiah was weeping. If they are scattered, Father, I'll bring them back to you. I'll gather the outcast. They, they don't know how to do right, but I'm going to put the right doing inside of them. I'm going to put the right standing within them. I'm going to put the righteousness supernatural that you give me from glory because that's who I am. I'm going to put it in them. See, the devil cannot change who you are. He can only convince you you're not who you are. Did you hear it? When you were born again, child of the living God, you are now entering again to the relationship with the living God. I want you to flip in your Bibles now as we look at the intercessor as he is interceding in verse, in chapter 17. Chapter 17 of the book of John. Jesus, the intercessor, as he as he prays, it says here, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. Why does God want to glorify? Why does Jesus want to be glorified, to be raised from the dead, so that he can have uh, all the, the praises of men know, so that he can glorify the Father and let you know who the Father is, uh, so that he can bring you into the right relationship that you should have with him? And in verse 2 of, of 17, as you have given him authority over all flesh, he will give eternal life to those whom you have given him. Verse 3, this is this so beautiful. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom they have sent. This is, folks, let me tell you, 
The beautiful thing about the righteousness of God is that it makes us right with God. And so the righteousness of God is as we ought to be. It is divinely approved and divinely accepted. So that now what I understand is God brings me into fellowship with him. And this is eternal life. It's relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. If the enemy comes to steal, he's trying to steal relationship. If he comes to try to kill he's trying to kill relationship if he tries to destroy he's wanting to destroy relationship but Jesus said I've come to give you life and what is eternal life it's relationship with the father and with the son and with the Holy Spirit it is it is the perichoresis it's the circle dance that we have with God we enter in and God is in us and we are in God and we see ourselves as God sees us and this is the wonderful good news of the gospel. Well, we see Jesus wept. We understand that he is interceding. What is he interceding for? He's interceding what Jeremiah was interceding for. Why did he weep? It's because for the slain daughters of his people. It's for the restoration of humanity. It's for the healing of the nations. It's for restoration restoration of identity so that the church I can understand when the world has a identity crisis but folks it's time that we awaken to the fact that we need to understand that our identity has been stolen but let me tell you there's good news it's been restored you don't have to worry about your credit card company because you're covered you're covered for your losses. Jesus is taking care of it. Amen? We just got to know. We got to know. Had a fraudulent charges on my phone the other day. Somebody spent $550 at AT&T three times on my credit card. I called the protection services. I said, hey, I didn't make these charges. No worries. Cancel. It'll be refunded, and we'll send you a new card. I said, fantastic. They said, don't worry about it anymore. Put no more thoughts. It'll be back in your account. I said, fantastic. You know what happens whenever we come into the kingdom of God? Amen. Come on. <laughs> when we step into the kingdom of God... And the enemy's trying to give you lies about who you are and who you not are, who, who, who you're not. You just go to him. You call security services. Father, 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 there's some charges on my account. Don't worry, son. I've already took care of them. <laughs> I took care of them. Your account is credited. There's no, don't even just keep spinning like you're spinning. But you're not spinning from a credit card. You're spinning from a bank account that has endless resources. Come on. See, when Jesus is interceding, when he's weeping there, in the, in the moment that he begins to weep, he's... He's weeping. I, I believe in, in large part of it is the fact that he's weeping because he knows with all of his sacrifices, all of his goodness on display, naked and free before the whole world, there will be those that will not receive that good news. Then he looks at those who've had an identity theft. 
keep trying to make up for those losses when all they got to do is call security services. Call the Lord and say, God, I don't want this. You don't have to have it anymore. It's not yours to bear. I've taken care of it. Jesus is called after the order of Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek. The Bible says that he has no beginning and no end. In other words, there's no lineage that's recorded there. And I, I believe more so what the author of Hebrew is trying to show us it is, is the analogy that Melchizedek being a priesthood was before the Levites. You know how the genealogies of the, of the Israelites were. In fact, Nehemiah will show you that if your name wasn't written down, you didn't get to participate. There's a, there's a genealog, gene, genealogy, thank you, structure, because the Lord is wanting to show you that through the covenant seed of Israel, that Israel being the womb, that one day there would be the covenant seed that came out of Israel, and there would be no refuting over the fact that he came from the line, not of the tribe of Levi, but we got to keep the record straight because he's coming out of a different line of priesthood. It predates Levi. It, it, it was Abraham that returned from the battle, and it was the, it was the, it was the, it's always the, 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 the superior blessing the inferior. And Melchizedek, in the word of God, is the superior. And he is blessing the, the, the lesser, which is Abraham. And so he gives him a, a portion of the tithe, or the tithe of his increase, the first tenth, the first fruits that Melchizedek brings to, or, or Abraham brings to Melchizedek. Show us that there's a priesthood. No beginning and no end. We see there that Jesus is called after the order of Melchizedek. Now, some speculate, and I think it's a worthy note, that Melchizedek could have actually been Shem. You know Shem, Ham, Jim, and Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Do you know that when Shem entered the boat, he was a hundred years old? And he lived 400 years after the flood. He outlived Abraham. Be kind of strange talking to a 400 and somewhat year old dude <laughs> who had no, we got no lineage because everything was washed up in the water. You know, that, that big deluge that came down and washed everything away? I don't know. It's fun to think about though, isn't it? So who's going to tell them the stories before the flood? Maybe the one that was there? <laughs> Come on. So as we see, here's Melchizedek. Jesus is called after this order of Melchizedek, this priesthood. Can you feel his heart yet? Can you feel his heart yet? See, I, I think too often we go, to, we go to the restaurant and we look at the menu and man, we're, we're looking at the menu and we, we study the menu. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, occasionally I like to go to Red Lobster. And, and I love their coconut. Ray, Ray knows it because he's taking me there. But you go to Red Lobster, but, and, I, and I love their coconut shrimp. But what I like more than that, I like the bread. I like the, the biscuits. Anybody, some of you miss supper and you, you're like, quit, quit, 
quit messing with me, preacher. This hurts. I told Kelsey tonight, uh, we had some leftover cookies, and I've been on a very strict cookie diet this week. But anyway, if you missed the cookie Sunday, I'm so sorry. I ate yours, and I saved you the pounds. Okay. But imagine for a moment, if you will, if you've never been to Red Lobster. You've never been. You've never walked in. You've never sat down. You've never seen the crab bowl, the aquarium, the lobsters, the crabs, lobsters. But you come in and you sit down and you've never tasted the rolls. I had a friend who was going through, he lived on base in, in San Antonio and he and his wife would go in there and they'd get extra bread and they'd stuff it in their purse and take it home because that's what they were going to eat the next day. Not a bad diet. But anyway, could you imagine never sinking your teeth into one of those cheddar baked biscuits. My God, that'll preach, won't it? Or eating one of those, those big jumbo coconut shrimp. I'm telling you about it, and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're getting a witness, aren't you? But imagine you've never tasted it before. But you go in, and you're reading the menu. Flaky, deep fried, jumbo, shrimp. And you study that, and you study that, and you study that. I heard you're famous for your biscuits. What are they? Cheddar baked biscuits. Tell me about them. And it's wonderful to hear that God wants us to do more than hear about Jesus and the Father. He wants us to do more than just read about it on a menu called the Word of God. He wants us to order. He wants us to put the plate in front of us. He wants us to taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants us to walk into the room and sit down at the table. And he wants to share life with us. And then he wants us to feel his heart. And once we feel his heart, then we begin to understand what breaks his heart and what breaks his heart is when humanity is away from him and they are trying and they're to credit their own accounts with their own debt and they don't have the means they don't have the resources and it takes up all of their time it takes up all of their energy they don't know how to be free from the debt of sin that's already been paid for A friend of mine gave me this description of this tall, skinny, beautiful, blonde-haired girl that played basketball. I heard tales. I heard how fast she was. Made me all the more intrigued. I heard she could play basketball and whoop up on the boys if need be. I heard of this legend But it wasn't comparable 
until I got in the room. <laughs> then I just couldn't shake her off. She wouldn't leave me alone, so I said, all right. I might as well marry you. <laughs> but see, to hear of someone is not the same as knowing someone. See, God wants you to know him. Power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I always read that, read that scripture and thought it's going to cost me something. That's not what it's saying. Paul's saying, look, Jesus Christ suffered, and so I co-suffered with him. Jesus rose from the dead, and so I co-rose with him. They paid that price because he thought I was worth it. Now I'm in relationship with him and I'm walking with him and I'm talking with him and I'm experiencing him. Who wants to serve a God you can't know? Who wants to serve a God that you can't experience? Who wants to serve a It's not going to go very far because your energy will run out. Your desire will stop. But oh, when you get in his presence, oh church, when we get in his presence, he changes everything just couldn't get past that word weep took me over to Hebrews the fifth chapter in the seventh verse who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death was heard because of his godly fear now Bekezedek he was king of a city. That city was Salem, which later became known as Jerusalem. Melchizedek was a priest and a king, so rightly representing our priest and our king and our prophet, Jesus Christ, who is the king of glory. Who Jerusalem, king of Salem means king of peace. He's king of peace. Why? Because he's king of righteousness. And you can't, as I've told you, you cannot have peace if you don't have righteousness. Where has the peace gone? It's gone by way of not knowing you are complete in Christ. Because once you become complete in Christ, you stop trying to work in order to be good enough to get into God's presence. You stop fretting over the debt and you start living in the abundance of who he is in you. And when you start doing that, it starts changing the way you think, changing the way you behave, changing the way you represent yourself in the world because you understand there's a joy deep down in my soul and it's changed who I am. But he's Melchizedek. Oh, I love this. The Hebrew author tells us right there, and I believe in chapter 7, Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. He's the king of righteousness. He is who we are. We are his and he is my ours. He is as we ought to be. We are as we ought to be in him. See, the beautiful thing about it is he who knew no sin became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God. And so I'm righteous in God because of Christ, and so my faith is in him. And I will never escape him thus with because I will always attain to him through faith. 
Faith is what keeps me connected to God. Faith is what what keeps me out of the pig pen because I understand that in my father's house he treats his servants better than I'm being treated over here. I'm not eating any more of this slop. I've hurt his heart. I've done things that I shouldn't. I'm going back to my father's house because my father's good. My father's merciful. My father loves me and I'm going back to his house. And when he comes in, he puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his, on his back and shoes on his feet. And he said, son, I don't want any more servants. I'm looking for sons. I want you to come back into the fold. I want you to come back as if you never left. We're going to walk together. We're going to talk together. You got the ring of authority, son. You got my robe. So when you walk in the street, they're going to know who you are. See, this is eternal life, that we know him. We know him. We know who he is. He wept. It says that with supplication that he offered up prayers. Go with me. Let's look at that. I want you to see this. That, that translation doesn't say it that way. I'm going to look here. Hebrews 5 and 7. In the days of his flesh, capital H, of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplication, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Now, I'm going to give you some food for thought. Is that okay? I'm, I'm going to read to you a commentary. And I'm just going to give you, I'm going to tell you the part that I added. But I, I want to I share this with you because I think so many times we, we lose sight and we, we misidentify the Father's love and we misidentify Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I told you some weeks back that what began in a garden as the failure, God began to restore in a garden of Gethsemane. We see that, okay? Passover begins and those days begin for the Hebrews at 6 p.m. So Jesus is in that garden. He's there. He's, 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 he's weeping. And this is what this is referring to. But it says, that is his death. He was weeping to save him from death. Now we think about that as the Lord was saying, Lord, is there any other way but the cross? Is there any? That's, that's, I think we misaligned that. That death that he's talking about was from a premature death in Gethsemane. Think about it just a moment. Let's read the text again. And tears to him who was able to save him from, from death. From death. A premature death in Gethsemane. The text clearly states that Jesus was spared from death. What death? He gave his life on the cross for us. This seems to reveal that Jesus prayed in the garden to be spared from death that he might and live long enough to die on the cross and not prematurely die in the garden. Most expositors believe this cup was the cup of God's wrath that was the sin payment 
Yet it is possible that the cup he was asking God to let pass from him was the cup of premature death in the garden, not the death that he would experience the next day on the cross. He'd already sweat drops of blood, but the prophecies had to be fulfilled of being pierced on the cross for our transgressions. And this is the part that I added, so that we might be pierced with the righteousness of God. God answered his cry. He lived through the agony of Gethsemane so that he could be our sacrifice for sin on Calvary. Jesus did not waver in the garden. We have a brave, glorious, mighty Savior. So that weeping, if we look at that, in that context, there was no separation between the Father and the Son. But there was a trust. There was a faith. There was a holding to the Father in the midst of all of that. Jesus was not wavering over the agony that was about to take place. He was ensuring that the work would be complete so that we would not be damned for eternity, separated from a relationship with God. Bring us into fellowship. And this is eternal life that you may know Him. I don't know about you. I do know about you. We want to know Him. We want to know Him. We want to know you, Lord. And once we begin to understand Him, we understand this message. And this message has to be told. God is in Nehemiah's prayer. He begins to share. He said, Lord, this is your promise. I love Nehemiah's prayer because he never, he never points the finger at God and say, God, you're the reason we're here. He said, no, the reason for the mess in this world is because we lost our minds. We forgot who we were. We are not as we ought to be. We have left the covenant. But he begins to remind the Lord of the word. And he says, but if you will return to me and my commandments and do them, though you're outcast or under the furthest parts of the heaven I will gather them from there and bring them back to the place that I have chosen to establish my name and that place folks is Christ now let me draw to a close as once again Nehemiah is echoing 
He's echoing the prayers of Jeremiah. He's reminding the Lord of the promises of his word. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places. Oh, let me tell you, your sons and daughters in places they don't need to be, there's a promise of God. I'll pull them back. I'll bring them back from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I have caused you to be carried away captive. And I believe Jeremiah was just rehearsing what Moses had left behind and told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 31 through 6. Just stay with me a little more, church. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. You and your children will all, with all your heart and with all your soul, that your Lord, will, God, will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you from there and he will bring you then the Lord will bring you to the land of your father's possession. Now, when did all this happen? So glad you asked, and I am closing. There was a feast that was taking place in Jerusalem 50 days after the Passover. They were gathered in an upper room. We won't get into the upper room tonight. So gathered in the upper room Ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Something happened that day. The fulfillment of the feast. The Spirit of God fell in that room. Set upon each one of them. Fire set upon each one of them. They began to speak in an unlearned, unknown language. And the people gathered around Jerusalem, all the many nations of the world, gathered around, and the noise was so loud. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem. See the gathering? Nehemiah's praying. As a representation, a, 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 a representation of a, a, a priestly intercessor that day, an intercessor for the people, and God gather, God gather, God gather, and it's echoed there in Jeremiah and Deuteronomy, and we see God gather, God gather, God gather, and you know what the intent of the Lord was? It's to gather and to gather and to gather, but where was the fulfillment of the gathering? The fulfillment of the gathering was there in Acts 2 when the Spirit was poured out, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. 
because everyone heard them speak in his own language the wonderful, glorious praises of the Lord. I thought that'd get more than a... Mm. Jesus wept. Nehemiah was weeping. Nehemiah began to pray. What did Jesus, what is his desire? It's the Father's desire. It's to gather the nations unto himself. Folks, I love Robert. Rudd and I had a, we had a conversation just before church, and this man of wisdom just gave me a little nugget of wisdom. Talking about parts and pieces for an air conditioning unit. I said, you know, everything's on delay. He said, you know what's not on delay? I said, no. He said, life's not on delay. We got to keep on living. <laughs> Amen. Is, is that good? I felt the anointing on it when he said it. Let me tell you, the world may be on delay, and there's a lot of things that are not happening, and you may go to the storeroom, and there's nothing on the shelf that, that you're expecting to be there, and it may take a little bit longer to get this done and that done. But let me tell you what is right now before us. It's the nations and the kingdom of God, and just like the universe, as they have discovered, is always expanding. Let me tell you, the kingdom of God, by the Spirit of the Lord, the very nature, nature is revealed the glory of God we should be revealing the glory of God we are revealing the glory of God it is the expansion of the nations it is moving forward can you feel his heart can you feel his heart our world has lost their mind I don't know if they ever found their mind Andrew shared something with me, and I tagged into it, but Jay Sekulow reported that there's a bill trying to be pushed through in California. Some of those that just came from California can probably confirm or deny this. But that bill states this. Y'all can look it up and confirm it, just make sure that it's, it's true. Abortion is not bad enough. You can kill a baby four weeks after it's born. They're trying to push that bill through. That tells me we live in a society that has no idea what it means to be an image bearer. I don't want to stand up here and say to you, evil are those people, evil are those people. I want to stand up here and say to you, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Church, when I ask you and I say to you, it's time we pray. What I'm saying to you is it's time we pray. And we say, God, let your heart be revealed in this world. Let your heart be revealed. I want you to stand all across this room right now.